open in prayer. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to look at your word. We ask that you guide and lead us as we as we look at this wonderful psalm of, of David. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 92. A psalm or song for the Sabbath day. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto the name unto your name, O Lord Most High, to show forth your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works, and your thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are most high forever. For lo, your enemies, O Lord, for lo, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall be, shall you exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. My eyes also shall see my de desire of my enemies, and my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like the cedars of Lebanon. Those that are be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So the psalm starts out, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises unto your name, O Most High. And I love this. It says good is also can be translated pleasant. It is a pleasant thing to give thanks or laud, uh, to confess the name of the Lord. And this is something that I find I love to do with other Christians. I just love to talk about God and lift him up. And it's, you know, it is a pleasant thing. I, it's what I like to do and always have liked to do. And this is something I see with with Christians who really are in love with God, they love to talk about him. It's just, he is the center of their life and, they, and it is just a pleasant thing to give him, ex exalt him, to build him up. And David is saying that right here. It is a pleasant thing to <clears throat> confess his name, to laud the Lord and to sing praises to his name of the Most High. To sing praises. One of the things that, that is enjoyable for me is just to sing praises. When I, mm -hmm. when I sit in my car and then the songs come in, I love to just sing the, sing the songs. And when I'm by myself, I'm going to sing them loud. Yeah. Uh, and if the windows are down, the people around me are going to hear it. And it's just lifting his name up. So when, what I enjoy doing at the prison is just talking to the men about God. What have you learned about him? How is he changing your life? What is he doing for you? And being able to just to make him the center of everything in our life and, a, and having a relationship with him. There's so many people out there that say they're Christians, but they're not in a relationship with God. They just say they, they say they know him. Maybe they're saved, maybe they're not. I don't know, but you know, are you really saved if you're not in a relationship with God is a great question. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me shall bring forth much fruit. And so if you're not in a relationship with God and not really engrafted into him and enjoying him, do we really know God? And this is what Paul's told the, 
told him in the epistle, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because it would be so easy just to say, well, I said my prayer, and, you know, and I'm, a, I'm a Christian now because I said the magic words, and now, now, I'm, now I'm who, you know, I'm, I'm in it, his follower. I don't, I don't spend much time reading his word. I don't spend much time in prayer with him. I don't spend much time with God's people, but hey, I'm going to heaven because I, I, I believe that he's God. And James tells us, you believe that he's God, you do well. The devils believe. And so we want to be very careful. We want to look at our life and say, am I in the faith? Once you're there, you know you're there. There's not a problem. God is going to hold on to you. And this is the one thing I ask people. Why? How do you know? And sometimes I'll hear somebody, well, I said a prayer when I was a teenager. And I'm going, that is all you're basing it on? Do you really know him? Are you experiencing him? Is he the one you spend your time with? And this is the, the important thing. Many people that aren't saved will tell me, well, I just don't understand the Bible. It's amazing that once you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you understand the Word of God. And it's very important. And he says, it is a pleasant thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Verse 2, to show forth your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every evening. And this is wonderful. He says, in the morning, I'm praising you for your mercy. You let me get up in the morning, and I'm praising you for what you are going to do for me. And he says, I close my day being thankful for your faithfulness. God provides for us for another day. He meets our needs. He keeps us safe. He's, he arranges for us to make it through the day. And so the, the writer here is saying, I... Thank you for your mercy, your upcoming mercies that are new every morning. And at the end of the day, I say thank you for being faithful. This is somebody who's got a relationship with God. He, he loves to talk about God. He loves to sing about God. He says, God, I thank you for what you're going to do for me. The end ends the day with God. Thank you for doing it. And this is a wonderful picture of somebody who loves God with all their heart. Verse 3. Upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with the solemn sound. So again, he's bringing, we're praising God. And he says, on an instrument with ten strings, some kind of harp, harp or guitar. Upon a psaltery, which again is a harp or kind of a guitar, a lute. And upon the harp with a solemn sound. And this is the idea of meditating. Meditating. How often do we meditate on God's word? One of the reasons I encourage people to really spend time in the morning on God's Word because then you can meditate on it during the day. I love to just read my devotions and then usually during the day, whatever I read that morning is what I need for that day. I get to share with other people. I get to, I get to use it that day. So it's very amazing to me because... I, I follow my own, my own schedule just like I have the church have a schedule. I have my schedule and it's amazing to me how God just uses whatever you read that day to be what you need as you muse and meditate upon it. And here the writer is saying, I want to just spend time contemplating God's word, contemplating what he's done for me. Verse 4, For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. I love the way he says this, Lord, you have, made, you have made me glad. It's not me trying to generate my gladness. It's not me trying to, to generate things. And it says, you know, through your work, I will triumph from the works of your hands. When we learn to just sit back and trust God, 
to guide us, to lead us. Doesn't mean we don't do anything, you know, well, God, I'm just going to sit here until you throw something in my lap is not what he's saying. But it is something where we're spending time thinking about God. We're looking at his word. We're looking for how he's going to do. And he just happens to put us down the right path to be able to be used. And it's amazing how many times this happens where you're just at the right place at the right time for God to use. And I don't know if it's because he puts you on the right path or because he's there, he makes it the time anyway. But, you know, it's important. I've heard them called divine appointments. Do we look around for where God is? Blackaby said in experiencing God, look around for what God is doing and join him. Where is God? What is he doing? So often we kind of walk down our own path and say, okay, God, I'm over here. Come, come do something. And God's over, over there saying, well, I'm over here already doing something. Why don't you get over here and, and help? And we're over there saying, God, uh, use me. I'm, I'm over here. And we're not listening to what he's doing. And this happens oftentimes in our own personal life. And churches tend to do this as well. They get wrapped up in a program and say, this is what we're doing. And then we're kind of wondering why God's not blessing whatever it is that they're doing. And God's saying, well, you're not looking around. You're not looking for how you can minister and how you can help. And here it is. It says, I will be glad because of your work. Why? Because I'm enjoying what God does. I'm enjoying what God's doing, and I join him. And it says, Lord, how great are your works, and your thoughts are very deep. Have you really thought about this? What God does is very great. And the writer here goes on, and by the way, you're very, all your thoughts are deep or profound. Hard to, hard to fathom, hard to understand, because they're beyond us. And this is very important for us to understand. When we are with God, we need to sit back and just say, God, you're in charge because you are smarter than I am. You're stronger than I am. You, you have a plan that I don't understand, so I just want you to lead. And how many times do we get out there and we try to do it ourselves? I, I've done it myself many, many times in my life, you know, where I just get out and I get ahead of God. I do my own thing. And then wonder why I don't, I'm not happy, I'm not in, in a glad place, I'm not seeming to be used. And then I kind of look around and I'm going, gee, I'm not where God is. And have to come back. And this is why it's so important. We look at what he is. His thoughts are so deep. Have you ever begun to even begin to understand some of his thoughts when you're reading the scriptures and you go, wow, this is just amazing? I've done that a lot. Wow, you know, God, I, I just don't, I never saw this before. Look, look how deep this is. And then I yell at my family, come listen to this. And they looked at me like, what's, going, what's wrong with you today? Not always. Sometimes, sometimes they're good to hear. Sometimes. But I do, I get excited when I'm reading God's word and he reveals things to me. And it's, it's fun now that I get to teach as much as I do because now I've got an outlet for all the stuff that he's popping into my head, you know, and sharing with people and being excited about it. But it's so wonderful. You read God's word, and all of a sudden, here's some great nugget of truth that is just jumping off the page at you and saying, hi, I've got this deep thought for you. And then you get to take that deep thought and think about it all day long and realize that you don't even understand part of it, usually. And you just can't understand it. But you, what you, little you understand is so wonderful 
that you just share it with people. And then you wonder why I didn't learn it earlier. Because it always takes a long time to grow in those areas because we are naturally in our, in our flesh judgmental people. And when God shows us something to be true, we expect everybody else to understand that it is true. And this is the very important thing. Too often we judge others by what God has taught us as if they were supposed to know what God has taught us. And this is really a sad thing because here's my list, God. Here's what you've told me I'm going to do. And I hold my list up to the person next to me and go, oh, you're not living up to where the God, God told me to live. Of course, they've got their list of what God's told them to do, and they're holding it up against you too and saying, you're not living according to what God's doing. And, you know, it's better if we just learn to let ourselves grow the way God wants us to and be less judgmental. Be There are things we're supposed to judge. If somebody's living in a sin, you know, an outright sin that the Bible tells us, and we love them enough to be praying for them, then we probably should go to them and say, I've been praying for you. I'm concerned because you're living in this lifestyle. But as I've told people over and over, if you're not praying for that person, you have zero right to go up and tell them that they're sinning and that they're not following, following the right way because you don't care enough about them to even lift them up with God, you really have no business talking to them about where they're at with God. If we look at ourselves, what are we most judgmental of usually is where God is, where we have weaknesses and God's been dealing with us. I have a problem in this area, so I start judging people in that area. And it's very important for us to keep that in mind, how to love somebody. Again, the first step probably is separating the sin from the person. Mm -hmm. Once we learn to be able to separate those two things, it becomes a lot easier not to judge somebody. They've got a weakness. They're, they're falling in sin. And we know that they're falling in sin. And, then, and we take in what Taggart said in uh, the Truth Project. They're bound by the sin. And how often were we bound in sin where we just couldn't get over a particular sin until God came in and he broke the chains? And that's a promise that he has for us that he will break our chains. But if we don't want to accept that, he's not going to sit there and make us. He might break the chains and we're sitting there thinking we're chained. You know, it's like an elephant. When they train an elephant, they train him with a great big heavy chain attached to something that they really can't pull out and they get used to the idea that they can't break the chain and then they can tie just the slightest string around their leg that just will get taunt and they'll go, well, I can't break this. And they put a tiny rope around their leg and they won't pull the rope. Then they could have snapped the rope in a heartbeat. But because they were trained that when it gets taunt, it, it doesn't break, that rope you know, keeps them from being breaking. Oftentimes, we're bound by things that we shouldn't be bound by because we've trained ourselves that I have been bondage to this area and I can't get victory. And God's saying, I've got victory for you. Matter of fact, I broke the chain. You're just wearing an empty chain and you won't let me take the chain off. You're, you're not stuck. You're not chained to this. And yet we sit there in defeat because we won't trust him. But God will use those years anyway. He'll use that time anyway. It, and this is why it's wonderful when somebody gets truly in a relationship with God early on in their life and they spend their, you know, they get into God's Word. And I feel so fortunate that God put me into His Word early in my life because it saved me from a lot of headache, a lot of hardship. And, I, and that even counts all the hardships and headaches I went through. I can't imagine what it would have been if I had 
not gotten into his word and wasted many, many years living in the world. But this is important for us. But you know, the thing to remember is no matter how late we get started, no matter when we get started, God is going to use whatever it is that we spend time with because he will redeem the, the years that were, were destroyed and he is the one that can help build those bridges. And he will use our bad experiences to help him move forward with us. And this is what's really important is not to say that our bad is something that was good because it was never good. But God can redeem it and make it of use to us. He could have done much better without it, but because we make these mistakes, he can then turn around and say, you're able to be used with other people. You're able to, we're able to use those things for his glory and, and build up. But you know, the most important thing is anybody who's wasted years will always be willing to say they wish they had not. No matter how God uses those wasted years, they will still say, I regret having done this because there was so much pain in the wasted years. And so we want to keep in mind that God can use them. He's going to glorify them. He's going to build up. But because he is God, he can do so. Verse 6, a brutish man knows not, neither does the fool understand this, the, the knowledge and understanding of God. Brutish person, a stupid, coarse, savage, somebody who is senseless. Senseless is a good, senseless is a good part of it. He's just, a brutish person is just somebody who is a brute. They're animalistic. And we know people that are like that. You know, you just know that their re response is going to be an angry response. They're going to be uh, insensitive. They're going to be like an animal in their response, you know, aggressive, attacking. It says, the brutish man does not know the wisdom of God and his works. Neither the fool understands this. And the fool is, some, again, somebody who is, is uh, stupid or dullard. Uh, and we're told the fool has said in chapter 19, uh, Psalm 19, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? This is, he is slow, he's dull, he doesn't understand. And this is the contrast to where he's been. You know, I want to start my day out with prayer with God. It's good to talk about God. It's pleasant to sing about him. He's got deep thoughts for me. Because that brutish, foolish man, they're just, they're just wallowing around in the mud. You know, the brute is there wallowing around in the mud of his sin and, and despair and not looking at God. It says, when the wicked spring as, as the grass and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, this is... It is that they shall be destroyed forever. And this is the idea. The wicked can appear to look like things are going good. And we all know that. And David and other psalmists all through this have gone with great you know, griping all the time. You know, hey, God, why, why, are, the wicked, why are the wicked prospering? We serve you and, and, and we're suffering. They're, they're, they're disobeying you and they're getting rich and look like everything's going their way. And God says, they get theirs. They get theirs eventually. And yes, most of the time we will prosper, we will be built up as, as righteous, but God says that the wicked get the reward for their wickedness. If nothing else, they're going to get their reward at the white throne judgment when they are cast into hell for having rejected God. But he's saying 
The wicked spring up. They look like grass. And this goes back to the, we've had several of these where the, the grass grows up and it wastes away. And I, and I, saw, I saw an article, I was reading uh, the atheist argument, and they go, yeah, this idea of the grass growing up and withering away in a day is, is, is a picture. And I'm thinking, you are a total idiot. You've never lived in the desert. We have seen in the desert how grass and flowers can grow up in the morning and be totally withered and dead by night because of the extreme heat and dryness of the area. They get a little bit of moisture and they pop up and they amazingly grow green and flourish. And, uh, and you can even see that flower pop out every once in a while in, in the 24-hour period. And then by the end of the, end of the day, it's totally gone. And this is the type of picture he's making. They grow up, they sprout up, they look like everything's going their way, and yet they shall be destroyed. They shall no longer exist. They will be annihilated. And this is the wicked. This is why we're told over and over, do not look enviously at the wicked for what they, what they seem to be having. For one thing, if you get to know them, they're usually, even when they feel, seem like they have everything in the world, they're not happy. There's no gladness. There's no joy in what they have. Oftentimes, you see these people living in big fancy homes with fancy cars. And if you can ever make it past their front door, you find out there's nothing in the house because they can't afford mm -hmm. anything in the house. You know, trying to keep up with everybody so that on the exterior appearance, and then they're stressing because of all the debt. They're stressing because they're trying to keep up with everybody. And you say they're not happy. How much more do you need? Just a little bit more. Maybe I'll be happy with just a little bit more. How much success do you need? Just a little bit more. I, I need the next movie for the actor. I need the next song for the singer. I need, I need the next big deal for the businessman, and I'll be happy. And they get it, and they're still not happy. But that's why I'm saying the, the important thing is look at the peace we have and, and get to know some, yeah. really get to know some of these people that you think have everything that you, that you would want. And you find out they're not happy. And believe me, I've done this with many people. Number one, they're not usually happy with what they have. And it's all they're ever going to have. And this is why I share with people, for, you know, it's, as sad as it is, for those that are, don't know Christ, this world is as much heaven as they're going to have. And it's nothing like heaven, so it's really sad. Yeah. But you know, for us as Christians, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. And it's not hell. It's not good, but it's not hell. But you know, for the people who are headed to hell, this is as close to, Christ, uh, to heaven as they're ever going to see. And God is trying to get their attention, even, even when they get all the stuff. And sometimes he lets people have stuff just so they realize that the stuff is not going to fill, well, fill, their, fill the void they're looking to fill. And maybe by letting them have their stuff, they'll be driven to God to finally find fulfillment. Because God says you're not going to be fulfilled with anything but him. The important well, you know thing is what? to be content. God is in control. That's what I was talking about this morning. When we know that God is in control, he's sovereign, he's given me whatever it is he wants me to have because he knows what I can handle and what I can't handle. Because most people, if they got rich, wouldn't, honor, wouldn't stay following God anyway. So God is not going to make most people rich because they'll start focusing in what do I have. And believe me, I've seen it many times where somebody gets blessed, do well in business, and they buy their quads and their RVs and their big home and all these things. And then you start seeing them less and less around the church. 
and you start going, well, what are you doing? Well, I was out camping. I was out, you know, I was out this week doing my RV trip. I had to ride my motorcycle on this trip. I had to go use my boat. And you, and you start looking at all, and you're going, oh, so all the blessings that God gave you are now keeping you away from God. It's really sad because that happens. And that's not saying that they, we can't have all that stuff. But does it keep us away from God? And if it is, there's a problem with it. And oftentimes when we get what we are, think we want, we tend to pull away from God. And this happens to me. I've heard people go, well, I'll tithe when I start making more money. I'm going, no, if you're not tithing when you don't have anything, you're not going to tithe just because you have a lot of money. And the statistics prove it. The poor are more likely to tithe out of their checks than the rich. And it makes sense. A tithe when you're only making you know, $1,000 a month is only $100. If you're making $10,000 a month, a tithe is, tithe is the $1,000. And you start thinking, I can do a lot with $1,000. The church really doesn't need the $1,000. I'll just give them the, the, the $100 I used to give them. This is usually what happens with people when you, the, the, and it is hard, and believe me, I understand it, because sometimes when I write out those big tithe checks, you know, when I, when, on a week where God blesses me, I look at them going, wow, I could use this to pay for a lot of bills, but God, this is your money, and I'm going to depend on you to give it back. I but I, I've had that temptation at times. Well, it is the trust of God. God, what are you going to do? And, and you know, the more we trust him, the more he proves he's trustworthy. And that doesn't mean be foolish and throw, away, throw all your money at him. You know, this is, this is the idea of the televangelists that go in there and they go, give us your, you know, the money you don't have and your, God's going to bless you. And you know, God's going to bless, but not necessarily financially when we give. Sometimes it's just by meeting our needs and giving us contentment, making us buy more, allowing us to buy more groceries than we expected to, you know, because it, the money went further. We don't know how he's going to bless, and he doesn't promise financial blessing. He just promises that he's going to pour out from the storehouses of heaven. And I love when I give God money because it seems like the cars get better gas mileage. The, you know, there's more, you know, you get better, you get more deals at the store. You come back with a lot more food than you ever expected. And God says, here it is. Just a little thing here, a little thing here, a little thing here, little blessing here. And then he gives you the trials like we've had this week where it cost a big bunch of money and, and God says, are you still going to trust me? And I'm going to say, yes, we're still going to trust you. And we go forward and he's wanting that aspect for us. A little, a little bit of food is better than none. The, the thing about it is if you're given with the right heart, you're going to be blessed anyway. If you're given to these people in the hopes that God's going to bless you back with tenfold yeah, like they like to, they love that word tenfold. Give us $1,000 and God will give you $10,000. Give us $100 and God will give you $1,000. Know, and that is not scriptural. And you're not giving with the right heart if that's what you're doing. If you're giving to help that ministry, God's going to bless and honor it. But if you're giving from their idea of give and you're going to receive this big, big amount, then God says, no, you're not, I'm, not, I'm not a genie in a, in a lamp that you rub and say, give me this and, and get it. So we see this. In verse 8 it says, But you, Lord, are most high forevermore. He's coming back. He goes, the, brood, the brutish people, they don't understand. They don't care. They're going to be destroyed. But you, God, are the most high forever. You are going to be God. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to worry about God not being God. He is always going to be God because he is the creator. 
There aren't any other gods out there competing with him. There's no other gods that are going to take his place. Satan is trying hard to try to take his place, but Satan can't do it. Satan's a created being, and if God had really wanted to, he could just say, Satan, you no longer exist, and Satan would be out of, out of existence. He could do that if he wanted to. And yet he uses Satan to try to try people's lives and let them prove their reliance on Jesus. Verse 9, for lo, my enemies, O Lord, lo, for lo, your, excuse me, for lo, your enemies, O Lord, for lo, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. This is kind of interesting because he repeats it twice. For lo, you know, God, you know, it's kind of amazing, but your enemies, God, you know, by the way, God, you have some enemies. And he says, they shall perish. They shall be destroyed. And then he goes, and all the workers of iniquity, okay, his enemies are going to be destroyed, and all those that are working iniquity, they're going to be scattered. This means that they're going to be divided. They can't unify. They can't come together and, and try to attack in, in force. And this is something that's important. One of the things in battle is you try to get the enemy broken up. You take pieces of the enemy. You, you don't usually go against the enemy straight on, especially in our day. You know, you don't, you don't try to go straight at the enemy. You try to outflank them. You try to cut off a small portion of them and beat the small portion and break them up. And here he says the enemy is going to be scattered. He understands war. They're going to be broken up. They're going to be divided. And once they're divided, I can pick off small groups. I don't have the big bulk of the army. And goes, God, you scatter those workers of iniquity. When we come across people who are trying to do bad things, and there are people out there trying to do bad, and just say, well, I'm going to do what I can get away with, God's going to scatter them. They're He's going to take what I want. Yeah, they want to take, but God's going to say, you're not going to join forces. You're not going to become a huge conglomerate of people on it. But verse 10 says, but my horn shall you exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall and I shall be anointed with fresh oil. And we've talked about horn in the Bible, talks about power and authority. He's saying, my power and my authority is going to be exalted. It's going to be lifted up. And you know, Christians get lifted up. By God, he gets lifted up. But oftentimes, even by the world, they look at us and they start, you know, they may make fun of us, they may try to criticize us, but you know, they also look at us and say, if we're living for God, that person's honorable. That person is trustworthy. I can, if I need help, that's the person I want to go to. We get exalted. We get lifted up. And he says, as a unicorn, we've dealt with the unicorn in the past. The, the whole idea of the unicorn is, number one, it comes from the Septuagint version, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And they, they translated unicorn as a single horned animal. But we also talked about the various things. There's a large extinct rhinoceros that they may have been referring to as a unicorn. There's also a large extinct wild ox. And this, this ox was huge. And if looked at from the side, the way his horns were, they, they looked like one horn. Julius Caesar talked about this kind of an ox also that was so big, it was the size of a small elephant he described it as. He says, you can't tame it. You can't put it under control. I'm glad you said it because it says, you have it in my horn like a wild ox. And I'm glad you the said newer, it. The newer versions use right. the, the wild what ox. What are you talking about when you said that? Okay. Yeah, the newer versions use ox. Mm -hmm. And 
So, but unicorn is a viable translation because there used to be creatures that had one horn or were huge or, and, and had these powers and, and all of this. But it's just kind of amazing. Julius Caesar, the Roman uh, Caesar, saw these animals in their area that were oxen the size of elephants, and he says nobody tamed them. They were too big. They couldn't tame them. They couldn't control them. And matter of fact, if they wanted to destroy things, they destroyed things. They, you know, be, you, you, they couldn't hardly kill them. It took multiple soldiers and archers to kill them. You, they, two or three arrows did not phase these things. That, that uh, probably tastes like chicken, right? I don't know what it tasted like, but <laughs> it'd be hard to kill. And so you, if you managed to kill it, you'd probably enjoy it. But, <laughs> but here we have this. And then he says, and I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil, talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But oil was used for multiple things in their day. It was the anointing that says God has chosen you to be something. In David's case, he was anointed to be king. It could be the anointed to be a prophet. And they poured the oil. I mean, when we talk about anointing with oil, we kind of just put a little bit of oil, yeah. rub a little bit of oil on your forehead, and we say, okay, you've been anointed. In, in this day and age, they would take a gallon to five gallons of oil and pour it over you. Okay, olive oil, good olive oil, and they would pour it. But also, olive oil was used when you had a serious injury. You would clean it, and you would put the olive oil on it, and it would create a covering for it that kept it from getting dirty. And David was used to using all of the oil on his lambs. If they would get injured, he would clean them up, and he'd pour the oil in there, and it would mat up their mat up their their wool in that area and help keep it protected and clean. So oil has multiple uses in this. In this, It's the fact that you're chosen by God. It's the fact that it brings healing. And what does the Holy Spirit do when he comes upon us? He says, we're chosen. It's like the oil being poured over us. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, kings and kings and princes and, and, and princes and princesses. You are chosen. You're anointed. And when he comes upon us, he heals us. He gives us strength. He gives us power. And here he says, God, you, you anoint me with fresh oil. And you know this has this idea of being done daily. Why don't they do that anymore? Well, they still do it in the Middle East. We don't do it in America because it's never been a big deal for us. But in the Middle East, they still use oil on, on their lambs especially. Now, they, they, of course, we have newer medicines and everything and the antibiotics, but they still, out on the field, will say on a quick thing, clean it up, pour oil on it. So it is still being used, but this whole idea of fresh oil every day. We need to be so close to God that we're getting a fresh anointing of the Spirit every day, at the minimum. You know, every hour, every minute is even better, but getting a fresh anointment anointing of oil from God, the Holy Spirit, getting fresh food from him in the word every day. I've, I've seen pastors who have been preaching so long that they're, they just take their notes out of their filing cabinet and re-preach the same message they taught 10 years ago because most people aren't in the church for 10 years and won't know the difference. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so we're going to go get moldy, stinky bread out and feed the body of Christ with moldy, stinky bread that you've preached a long time ago. What about some nice, fresh food. I hope I never get there and I usually throw away my notes because I don't want them to be 
part of something I teach. But you know, it's important. Are we being fed with fresh food mm. from God every day? Fresh food. Through our personal studies, through anybody we might listen to on the radio, from classes that we go to in the, in the church, from sharing with other people. Are we getting a fresh anointing, a fresh feeding every day? Or am I trying to live off what God told me three weeks ago and say, God, I still want, I'm still holding on to this moldy, stinky bread. You know, it's, uh, you know, I want to be fed from this. It was really good three weeks ago, and God, it's got to still be good. And I'm not saying, I don't want to, I, I want to be careful even as I say that. It's still good, but, but you get the picture. He wants us to have fresh anointing, fresh food from him. And you, you've, we've all met people like that. Well, God gave me this message 38 years ago, and I'm still... Still standing on this, on this message. I haven't had anything new since then, but I'm standing on this message. And you know that they don't have a strong relationship with God. They're not in a very good place with God because they're, still sta they're standing on food that is no longer of any value or very little value. And we want to be able to see this. And David, is, uh, David here is saying, fresh anointing, something new every day. And that's how we started it out. You know, it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to him in verse 1, remember? He says, I'm doing this every day. I'm praying to you every morning, God. Thank you for your mercies that are coming in at night. I'm thanking you for what you've done for me. This is a person who's having new experiences with God every day, and he's saying, I've got a fresh oil. I'm anointed with fresh oil all the time. We need to be that place where we're getting fresh oil, fresh information and I've met people who are sitting there and they're still sitting on the same thing truths that they were taught years and years ago and you can you can smell the death in them because they're not growing they're, they they're putrefying in their knowledge in what whatever knowledge they did have and so fresh oil is is important my eyes also shall see my desire on my enemies and my ears shall hear the desire of the wicked that my desire of the wicked against me what well, is his desires that they be judged right do you realize that when the wicked come up against us i've actually prayed to god god don't give them what they deserve because i don't want to see them go through what i've seen god do to the wicked this person seems to be rejoicing in what god's going to do to the wicked God, I'm looking forward to see my eyes seeing and my eyes hearing what you're doing to them. I've seen too much harshness that God has un unleashed on people because they won't follow him, especially when they say they're his children. Mm. When they say they're his children and they don't obey him, I've seen such harsh things and I don't want to see people judge that hard. I know that God sometimes needs to and if, he, if there was some other way he wouldn't do it. Yeah, but my desire is, God, please don't. <laughs> don't give this person what they deserve. And this goes for the people that harm, you know, harm or come against me, and I'm going, God, please be merciful to them. His mercy may mean that they get hurt, hurt so that they'll come to him. God knows what needs to be done. But I am not going to be one that says, God, go get them. David did that a lot in the Psalms. God, go get them. <laughs> go get them. They deserve it. I've seen too many people that have had this happen, and I've shared with you, I know this one man, he, he attacked a pastor, and they, the deacon and I went to him and said, you've got to stop it. This, this pastor didn't deserve to be attacked. Was he a perfect man? No. And he refused to, and then next thing you know, he's getting a divorce. His health goes down. He loses two of his sons to death. 
And I know in my heart that it happened because he would not repent for his attacking that pastor. And I watched how God destroyed his life trying to get his attention. God will do what it takes. And we see it all through the Old Testament. When God says, I've had enough of you, and takes everything away from them and takes their life. And, you know, the Canaan had that opportunity before the Israelites came in. 430 years, God said, repent. And they wouldn't repent. And he sent the Israelites in and says, kill everybody and everything because they're so tainted with sin and won't come back. God reaches a point where he says, no more. And he sends judgment. Hear this writer saying, I'm looking forward to it. I want, I want to see it. I want to hear them get what, get what they deserve, God. This is not a prayer that I want to, want to be praying. David asked this prayer. All through Psalms, David's asking this, this prayer. Go get them, God. Give them what they deserve. They, 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 they attacked me. I want you to go get them. And so here's that whole thing. The wicked are going to get when they rise up. Verse 12, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. I love this word flourish. It means to blossom. Righteous people do blossom. Hopefully you've seen that in your life as you blossom in the righteousness of Christ and you see your life being changed. And, and the key there is to make sure that we don't get prideful or, or say look at me and look what I've done because God is the one that makes us to flourish and blossom. He says he's, we flourish, we blossom like the palm tree, we grow strong like the cedar tree. Cedar trees are a very strong tree. They're a very well-desired tree that we were talking about earlier. It is a high-quality wood. People like it, and God says, you're like that very valuable wood. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. I love this. He goes, be planted. Be planted in God's courts. Be around God. Be around where his people are. And in, in Hebrews we're told, forsake not the assembling of yourselves and so much more as you see the day approaching. And I meet so many people that says, well I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well that is absolutely true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you want to be somebody who's in a good relationship with God and to grow, get your butt into a church where people can help you grow. Otherwise, you're going to flounder and you may or may not be a Christian. Because God says we need each other. We need each other to be able to say, hey, we missed you. We love you. We, we care for you. you know, where have you been for the last you know, couple of weeks? We've, we've missed you. How, how, can you. how can we help you? How can, you? how can we help you grow? How can you help them grow? Do you realize part of the, problem, the, the importance of being together as a corporate body is for each of us to share with one another and help each other grow. People help me grow and I help them grow. And it's wonderful. It is wonderful to be in that place where we are dependent upon one another. We're talked about as a body. You know, think about this. If you cut your skin on your body, what happens? Blood starts flowing to, to that spot. And it deprives other places of the body to do this. It will deprive other places of the body temporarily to support that area that needs the, the healing at that moment. And then it comes back. And then the cells go in there. And all the, all the stuff that goes on. If you hurt your, you hurt your leg, the rest of the body over compensates to keep the pain off the body. You, know, you hurt your knee, your foot, then you, your other side of your body tends to be overcompensated. And you'll find yourself getting sore on the other side 
because you're staying off of the part that hurts. This is the idea. We come together and God says, you're planted in my courts, you're planted in me, and you will flourish. Get into his word, get in with his people, talk to his people, have people that can come to you and say, you know, something that we don't usually like to have, somebody that can tell us that we're doing wrong. It's very important for us in the body to have people that can come to us and say, you know, hey, uh, I kind of noticed you're going in the wrong direction over the last week or so, because they love you so much they care. Because if they didn't care, they wouldn't, they wouldn't come to you and share with you, unless they're just being judgmental. But you know, if they come to you with that loving attitude, hey, I've watched you, you've been making some really bad decisions, you've been not, not reading your Bible, you, know, you haven't been doing this, you haven't been coming to church, and you know, we, we just love you so much, we want you to, to grow. As always, those people are gonna be judgmental, you know, hey, I, you know, no. no, you don't worry about them. If they're being judgmental, just pray for them. But also be aware, maybe their judgment has, even though they're doing it wrong, with the wrong spirit, maybe their judgment has a, a hint of truth in it. Maybe there's a hint of truth in it. So even if they're coming with the wrong spirit, we need to kind of look back, step back and say, is what they've said true? And I, go, I know they weren't very loving and they were just being aggressive, but did, is there a core of truth in there and say, and at least be willing to say, I need to help change my life? But that is sometimes the reaction of people. They think, we're, you know, they think we're saying things about them sometimes or whatever it might be. Somebody says we're saying something about them. You know, all we want to do is we just need to pray for people. Just lift them up for God to get hold of and make sure that we're not talking about them behind their back. <laughs> you know, very important, very important that we just say, pray for this individual. Mm -hmm. When we're being attacked, we just pray for the people. When, and we want to encourage people because what our first reaction is to gripe and complain about them. And that's not a good place to be at. We just need to sit back and say, okay, God, they're, they're yours. I'm, I'm yours, so you take care of them, and I'm just going to pray for them. And not pray that God go, goes and gets them, <laughs> if, unless that's what he needs. Go, God, do whatever it takes to bring them to you is usually my prayer. But it's part of the immaturity. If we're sitting there, God, go get them, it shows an immaturity. And we see an immaturity in this. Even though this person loves God and shows his God this, this love, we see this little statement of immaturity. God, go get them. I'm looking forward to the way you get them. And that's not the way we, we should be loving one another. But, you know, we all have places where we are immature. No matter how long we've walked with God, there's going to be places where we are immature in learning. And that's why we are to grow in Christ. And there's going to be places where we're strong. And we've got it. We've, we've been developed and we know these areas. And God's saying, okay, you're strong in that area. Keep, it, keep, keep guard over that area, but let's go to this new area and bring you, bring you up. And this is very important. In verse 14 it says, they shall bring forth fruit in old age, and they shall be fat and flourishing. They're, they're going to keep growing up. And you know, we in our day, because we're so well-fed, fat is not good. Okay, because we're overly fat. It's a, the, flourishing, the flourishing is that idea of being fresh. And fat is to be vigorous and to be alive. I think in this we're talking about being vigorous more than... If, if you think back, it wasn't even so long ago that we considered people with a little bit of plumpness as healthy and desirous. It's only been in recent years that we want to see somebody with no fat and, and skin and bones and look like they're emaciated and call that beauty. And I don't call it beauty. I look at them and say, man, that person is sick. We went to a, a, a museum a 
several years ago. And they had this little postcard on, on display and it said, here come the bathing beauties. And these girls were extremely plump girls. <laughs> and they were considered, and this was like the 30s or 40s, and they were considered to be the beautiful, beautiful girls because they had, you know, there was a time when you, you, couldn't, you couldn't be plump unless you had wealth, unless you were being blessed. Your day-to-day -day existence, you didn't have the extra food. You had your, your breakfast, maybe a slice of bread with some butter or oil on it uh, for lunch, and then you had your dinner, which meant that you had to kill one of your animals to have dinner. It was a time when, when if you were plump, it showed that you were blessed and that you had, you had stuff. But there was a time when if you were too skinny, you were considered there's something wrong with you. You were, you were starving yourself to death, you didn't have, and there was a time when you wanted somebody that had some size on them because it meant that they were healthy and, and well-fed and they weren't sickly because if you were sickly it meant you didn't eat and you had no weight and it's kind of amazing how things have twisted over the years to, to a point where you have to be as thin as a, as a tiny rod to be, be considered beauty and I look at some of those people and I'm going, I don't see these people as pretty. I don't see these people as pretty. They look mal malnutri malnutrition. And the last verse on the, on the, in, the, in the psalm, to show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. God is going to show us that he is our rock. We've talked about that. He's our solid. He wants us to stand on him. He's our fortress. He's our, he's our strong tower. And there is no unrighteousness, no evil, no bad in him. This is why we can trust God, because he has no, always has our best interest at, at heart. He wants to be glorified through the way that we're treated and the way that we grow, so he allows us to learn to glorify him. And he wants us to be able to glorify him. He wants us to be able to depend on him. And this is why it's so important to understand he is the creator, he is sovereign, but the most important thing is he desires good. It is not his desire that anyone go to hell. So he offers Jesus Christ to all people because he doesn't want them to go to hell. It's not his desire that anyone goes to hell. That's, the hell was created for Satan and the demons, not for people. But he decided that if people wanted to sin and wanted to reject him, they could go to hell with Satan and the demons, but that is not what he wants. And I've shared many times, he's going to be heartbroken at the white throne judgment when he says, okay, I'm going to give you what you wanted. You wanted to reject me and you didn't want me, so now you're going to have that for the rest of eternity. You get to go to hell and be punished for eternity. And he'll be heartbroken on it because that was never his desire, never his, his thought that we would be there. And so it's very important that we look at this. He's our rock, he's our protector, he is upright. I love this word upright. He's, he's level. He's correct. He's not perverted. He is perfect. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. You, you care for us. That you would desire to, to lift us up and protect us. You are our rock. You are our fortress. And you are the one that loves us beyond all measure. And we just thank you for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.